Welcome back to Second Look. This is the first installment of a four-part series called Everyone Within My Reach. We'll explore a few different aspects of living on mission in our communities among strangers, neighbors, and family. On today's episode, Barton Kimbrough teaches on overcoming our habits and fears to reach those around us. Julia and Seth Harkins discuss how they've sought ways to get to know their neighbors. Well, again, good morning. We are so glad that everybody's here today in this hot uh, July Sunday morning. And today marks the first Sunday of our special, you know, combined Sunday school hour for the next month in this series that the staff has described or, or labeled rather as everyone within my reach from strangers to neighbors to family. Now, some of y'all might under or recognize rather that subtitle from strangers to neighbors to family. It comes from that book by Rosaria Butterfield. Um, the gospel comes with a house key. Has anybody read that book before? The gospel comes with a house key. Nobody's read. A couple of people have read that book. I encourage you to get that book. It's wonderful. And it really speaks into our subject matter for this month, but it's adapted from a line that she has in the very first page. And really it's her summarizing statement for the church's mission for expanding the kingdom of God simply by being a good neighbor. From strangers to neighbors to family. It's her summarizing statement of the church's mission to see the kingdom of God advance simply by being good neighbors. And that's what we're going to be talking about this month. This isn't really a a new initiative or a new church model. It's not even really about parishes, although parishes is going to be a great opportunity for us to, to live this out in a practical way. But Really, all this is is a a season for us to push the pause button and return to what has always been the original mission and identity as Christians. As Christians, we are the local church right here in Memphis where God has sovereignly placed us. We're the local church as an outpost of heaven. Our citizenship is not here. It's in heaven, and God has sovereignly placed us in this place as an outpost of heaven where we live distinctly by grace under the reign of King Jesus to the glory of Father, by laboring to make Memphis and our neighborhoods and our homes as it is in heaven. And the easiest way, most practical way for us to do that is simply by being good neighbors. And so this month, we're going to be talking about that. Todd Erickson, several of our members who you know and love and myself will be trying to flesh that out. Uh, This morning, we're going to be talking about knowing our neighbors and how to overcome some of those fears and challenges we have into reaching out uh, to those people around us. So we're going to do that by looking at Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to read through this. I'm going to just talk about it briefly because I want to make sure we have plenty of time for Seth and Julia and Lauren who will be sharing with us later. But Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Hear the word of God. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped and beat him and departed, 
leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Now which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. A little bit of context before we dive in. In Luke's gospel, starting around chapter 10, the focus of Luke's gospel goes to what does it mean and look like to be a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. So starting in chapter 10 to the end, that's essentially what the main focus is. What does it look like to, to be a, a simply a follower and a disciple of Jesus? Now in chapter 10, we see two facets of being a disciple. In the first part of chapter 10, we see that, that Christians, disciples, are primarily messengers. We have a great news story. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to share that with everybody around us. But when you come about halfway to chapter 10, starting where our parable picks up, we see the flip side of being a disciple. As Tim Keller describes it in his work on the Good Samaritan, which was very helpful to me in my study, he says, instead of being a gospel messenger, now we're called to be gospel neighbors. So we're both messengers and neighbors as Christians. We have been called to be those things. You can't really separate them. They go hand in hand. They go together. So, of course, as gospel messengers, we share the gospel with people, urging them to believe. Absolutely. But gospel neighboring is a little bit different. Gospel neighboring is when we come to know, love, and serve our neighbors regardless if they believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ or not. These two things just simply go together. We, we, we share the gospel and we love our neighbors as good neighbors. Now in this parable, Jesus has several things for us about what it means to be a good neighbor. The first one I want us to see is the mandate. That this is a mandate. The second thing I want us to see, the scope of this mandate. And thirdly, the power to live out this mandate together. Okay, so first off, the mandate of being a gospel neighbor. You'll remember right before the parable, Jesus has this interaction with the lawyer. This lawyer asks a, serious, a series of questions because he's suspicious of Jesus, like all the other religious experts of the day. And he wants to trap Jesus. He wants to expose Jesus as being someone who didn't really care about the law of God. So he asks the question, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? Because he and everybody else, they've seen Jesus hanging out with sinners, reprobates, people who are just, you know, the lower echelon of society. And so he figured Jesus was going to say something theologically liberal. Like, I don't know. I mean, just do whatever you want to do. Everybody's okay in their own eyes. You know, something like that. But Jesus turns that question in on of itself like he usually does. He goes, let me ask you a question. How do you read the law? And really, that's a way of saying, tell me your summary of the law. What is the law really about? And so this Pharisee, back on his own heels, uh, responds the way he should. It was the typical answer. Well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. That is, that you love God until it dominates every facet of your life. And every facet of your being, love God there in the way that you think, feel, so on and so forth. And you love your neighbor 
with the same passion, the same urgency, the same resources, power, and joy in which you love yourself. Tie your happiness up in their happiness is what that first and second greatest commandment means. And so Jesus then says, bingo, that is the summary of the law. Now we're going to come back to uh, this parable, but what I really want us to see is that Jesus is showing us that the, 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 essentially the essence of this command, the essence of loving your neighbor is gospel neighboring. And we see that in this parable because this Samaritan sacrificed a lot in order to love this man. He sacrificed not only his time, his resources, even really at the cost of his own life in order to love this person. And so Jesus is showing us that the bare minimum of loving our neighbor is gospel neighboring, where we practically meet the needs of those around us in such a way that only the gospel explains our lives. That's the main takeaway from this parable. Now, just so we're sure, our title for today is Knowing Our Neighbor, right? But we really can't love our neighbor well, at least practically, unless we come to know our neighbors, right? Otherwise, it's just theoretical. Might as well be a bumper sticker, love your neighbor. In order to love our neighbors well and practically, we must come to know our neighbors, One of the Greek words for to know in the Bible is gnosko. And that means that you actually come into relationship with something, in this case a neighbor, to the degree in which that thing, or in our case our neighbors, actually become valuable to us. And that's what we see happen in the Good Samaritan. This man didn't know this this person lying hafted on the street corner from Adam, but he entered into his life to know him and to love him and to serve him. And that's what we're called to do as Jesus' disciples, as gospel neighbors. Now, the two main takeaways I want to bring from this first mandate is the first one is the most, or really the most important and the most obvious. This is not a suggestion by Jesus. You know, he doesn't say if this is, you know, up to your liking or if you have enough time. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's a mandate. We are commanded both to know and to love our neighbors. There's another book which I highly recommend. It's called The Art of Neighboring. Some of y'all, I know some of our, my classmates in Cana have been reading that. But in that book, they say the problem has never really been that it's difficult to get to know our neighbors. Of course it's difficult to get to know our neighbors. Sometimes they just make it hard to be known, and sometimes it is awkward, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But that's never been the main problem. The main problem is that being a good neighbor hasn't always been something that Christians value. Right? Now, I know that I'm preaching in the choir here. I know that we value that. But let's just make, let's just make this a reminder then. This must be something that we value. Jesus is saying that this is a central component to being his disciple. And it's an inevitable sign that we have met and known Jesus, that we are good neighbors. Now, the other thing I want to pull away from this is that we have an incredible opportunity, church. I mean, sociologists say that currently we live in a culture of seclusion, right, where most people are not known by their neighbors, And that has only been made worse by the technological age we're in, where everybody can just text and not call, interact on Facebook and not in person to person. It's been made worse by the pandemic, which has secluded everybody. And most people are still in that same rhythm where they're just hanging out with whoever is in their, what's that word we used to call bubble? Yeah, everybody's still in their bubble. Most people don't know their neighbors. And what we know as Christians is that every single person was created 
to be in relationship with other human beings. That's just in our DNA as those designed by God. The only problem is in our culture, people are not experiencing that. So what an opportunity we have as the church with this mandate on our lives to enter the lives of our neighbors, to serve them and know them and love them in such a way that only the gospel of Jesus can explain. What an awesome opportunity we have in this command which we have no right to skirt out from under. Because remember, we're under the reign of Jesus, living for the glory of God the Father. He commands us to do this, and what an opportunity we have to meet the needs of those that live right next door to us. So that's the mandate. Secondly, I want us to look at the scope of this mandate. Right after that, Jesus has this interaction with this religious guy. He gives him the parable. And in this parable, we see that rather than limiting this command, which the Pharisee wanted to do, Jesus shows him how far and wide and broad the scope of this commandment really is. Okay, it blows his mind. Think through some of the fears and distractions and habits we have which prevent us from being good neighbors to those around us. I mean, we all have them. I have plenty, trust me. But we all have them. We all have fears and habits that prevent us from reaching out to our neighbors and living out this command which Jesus has on us as his people. There's three of them that present themselves in this text. The first one, we tend to limit Jesus' command by limiting our who, our description, our definition of who our neighbors are. For example, for the most part, most people don't mind loving those people, serving people, helping people, knowing people who are very similar to themselves. We all have our natural affinity groups, our biological families, for example, our extended families, our race, our age, our stage, our educational background. Ole Miss fans hang out with Ole Miss fans. UT fans hang out with the UT fans. You know, that Lane Kiffin thing is a great divide between those two groups of people. Um, We all have our, our shared common interests, and it's easy to get to know those people. It's easy because it's relatively safe. I mean, you have things to talk about. It's not awkward, right? That's natural. It's also natural to know, love, and serve those people who have helped us in the past. You know, Seth saved me my last uh, bacon maple donut, which is my favorite. So, of course, I'm going to save him his donut next week when we're all back in here together. I mean, scratch your back, I scratch your back. That's just how things work. That's natural, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we see in this passage, with this parable, Jesus calls us to something that is supernatural. Something that is far different than that is experienced with most people in this world. He calls us to a new way of living. He calls us to a new way of being neighbors. And we see that in this story. In this story, the good Samaritan and the Jewish man who was dying on the road hated each other. At least their tribes did. They were mortal enemies. What would have been natural, right, is for that Samaritan to just keep on walking by. In fact, because he helped him, when he got back to his neighborhood, this Samaritan, I guarantee you that all of his friends and neighbors gave him trouble for helping this Jewish person. They hated each other. That was natural. But what this Samaritan did was was extremely unnatural. They were enemies. And so Jesus, making the two central characters in this story enemies is showing us that we must expand the definition of our who to include everyone around us regardless if they believe the bible or the gospel or not 
Another quote that I really love in a book called Everyday Church, Mission by Being Good Neighbors is by Tim Chester. Another great resource for you to read further on this topic. I'm going to summarize this. This is what he says. He says, our greatest apologetic, that is our greatest witness, our greatest revelation to the world that we are in fact Christians, our greatest apologetic, our greatest strategy of bringing people into the church is not better music. It's not relevant or flashy sermons or funny sermons. It's not good coffee. It's not new programs. It's not even outreach events. It is entering the lives of your neighbors and loving them well. Not as an evangelistic project, but simply to love them as you have been loved. That is our greatest apologetic, and that's what puts Jesus Christ on display. All right, so we must expand our who to include everyone. And may I suggest a great place to start are those people who actually live next to us. Another habit that we have which limits this command in our lives is the when. Tim Keller goes to great lengths uh, explaining this in, in his work. But he says, we usually don't mind helping people when it's not their fault. So, you know, for example, during an economic recession when some people are struggling, it, it doesn't bother us to help those people. When a neighbor or a family or a friend is grieving some sort of tragedy, it's, it's, I mean, it's natural for us to want to help and to serve, to start a food chain, whatever it might be. However, when someone needs help and it is their fault, you know, something they did to lead them in that spot, well, it's then that most people out in the world start saying things, well, God only helps those who help themselves, which of course isn't biblical. Or they start saying things like, well, they got themselves into this trouble. Now it's time for them to get themselves out, which, again, is not biblical. But Jesus just turns that up on its head. Because remember, these two groups of people, they're mortal enemies. And from the uh, Samaritan's perspective, the Jewish person was the oppressor. I mean, the Jewish people really gave the Samaritans a hard time. So from the Samaritans' perspective, the Jewish person is the oppressor in the situation, which meant that he deserved to die. But that's not what the Samaritan did. He entered into the life of this person to love him in such a way that only the gospel could explain. And although I might be reading this in the text, I don't think so. One of the reasons that he did that is because he recognized the dignity and the value of this person simply just being created in the image of God. It reminds me of that C.S. Lewis quote, that there are no ordinary people. Regardless of who they are or what they've done, there are no ordinary people. You've never met a mere mortal. Everyone is worthy of dignity, love, and value as those being who created in the image of God. Now, again, I know that I'm preaching in the choir. One of my great privileges that I tell all of my buddies from seminaries, I get to work at a church, serve at a church along brothers and sisters who love their city well. So again, let's this just be a reminder that we must expand our win. Lastly, our most common limitation to this command to, to give our lives away to those around us is the question, how far? How far? Most people out in the world do not mind loving, serving, and knowing their neighbors unless it begins to cost them something. Right? I mean, at least that's my main limitation. Is this really going to affect me? I mean, I don't mind being a good person or a good friend until this, until this really affects me. Then I've got to start thinking through it. I think that's really one of our greatest fears. I mean, if you're like me, it certainly is. And this, of course, ranges in degree. I mean, it could be silly. But still, a, a natural fear, you know, it's going to be awkward. 
My neighbor cannot hold a conversation for the life of them. I'm going to be doing all the legwork in this thing. All right? I don't have that much to say myself. I don't want to be an awkward thing. I mean, I should rather not do it. Or this is going to take time away from what I want to do. I've had a really tough week at work. I mean, Stranger Things isn't going to watch itself on Netflix. <laughs> or whatever it is that you're watching. <laughs> this, that's more of a personal application. Or this is going to be really inconvenient. I mean, my... My home is my inner sanctum. I mean, this is where I, I retreat to. I get to rest here. I don't want someone I hardly know at my dinner table. Or maybe, maybe getting to know that person is just going to cost me my reputation. If I don't go to family dinner on Sundays, my parents are going to ask me where I went. And they're going to raise their nose when I tell them I'm going to hang out with that person. Or my friends or my coworkers are going to give me trouble if they know that I'm hanging out with that crowd or that person, knowing who they are and what they've done. Those are natural fears we all have. But again, Jesus blows those fears out of the water by giving us a very dramatic and extreme example. This Jericho road that all these people seem to be traveling on, it was a dangerous place to be. In fact, so many people were robbed and murdered on it. It was called the Pass of Blood, right? So I kind of have sympathy for the priests and the Levite. I mean, they were just being level-headed dudes. I mean, they, one of the reasons they didn't stop and help this guy is because they didn't want to stay there any longer than they had to. Because if he was half dead, that means the job wasn't done. Whoever the murderer was, was coming back to finish it. So of course they're going to leave. But the Samaritan didn't do that. He got out of his normal way of thinking and put his life on the line in order to know, love, and serve this person. A person who didn't deserve it. I think Jesus is calling us to be a radical neighbor where he's showing us that, that all of our resources, our time, our money, our convenience, even our lives, were never given to us for our own sake. They were gifts given to us to be leveraged for his kingdom's sake and for our neighbors, to love God with all of our heart, mind, strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And it hasn't always been that way. In the Old Testament, you were blessed to be a blessing. As the church, we were chosen God's choice of us was never meant to be an indulgence. It was always meant for mission, to make himself known and to love our neighbors. Now, how in the world are we going to do this? Because I certainly can't do it in my own strength, and nor can you. What is our power to live this out? Because we can't do it just because we try harder, just because we're religious people. The Levites and the Pharisees show us being moral people isn't going to do the trick, right? So what is the power behind this? Um, two things that so many people have pointed out before. We have to realize two things. First off, you and I are not the heroes here. We are not the good Samaritans. Uh, we are the poor guy lying dead on the street in desperate need for help. That's who we are. The hero, however, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the true and better and greater good Samaritan who came to know us so that we might know him in order to save us, not at the risk of his own life, like the Samaritan in the story, but at the cost of his own life. And he precisely did it in the moment that we did not deserve it. And it's when we embrace the Lord Jesus and keep embracing him, keep coming back to that well, embracing Jesus as the true and better neighbor, that our lives slowly and surely begin to change. Our who begins to expand because we understand when we're embracing Jesus that everybody's created in his image and we are desperate for other people to know the good neighbor, the good Samaritan, the Lord Jesus Christ as we do. When we embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, our wind begins to 
to change. We don't care who people are or how they got themselves in that spot. Because we know when we're at our worst moments, Jesus came into our lives in order to know us so that we could know him. And when we embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, how far is never a question. Because we're loving other people out of the well of Christ's perfect love for us. So this is what we're talking about this month. Jesus calls us to be radical, godly, good neighbors. It is a costly call. But the way in which we are able to live that out is by embracing the one who first loved us. Now, practically, how do we do that? I don't know. So that's why we're going to turn it over to the Harkins and Lauren Maddox, who's going to come up and interview them, and they're going to share with us how they were trying to live this out in their own lives. Let's welcome them up together. Everybody, I'm going to let Seth and Julia introduce themselves first to get us started for those of y'all who don't know them. So, um, Julia, why don't you get us started? Uh, Good morning, everybody. I am Julia Harkins. Um, Lauren asked us to kind of share a little bit about how I came to know the Lord and something that would help you know us better. But um, I... The, the first job my dad had out, had out of seminary was as a youth director and a camp um, director in Chattanooga. And so I grew up in the summers as a camp kid. And week after week, summer after summer, I heard my dad tell the gospel to kids who were coming to camp. So week after week and year after year, it clicked. Uh, I finally kind of sat down in my hallway and, and asked the Lord um, into my heart and walked with him and saw the fruit of the Lord putting godly friends in my life and ministries that walked alongside me like Young Life. Um, Seth and I met at a friend's wedding. We were set up at a friend's wedding in 2011. And um, we dated and were engaged long distance. I came to Memphis and found a home at Second Pres because he had found a home here. He knew when, when I would visit with him, he knew older people and younger people. I grew up in the church, and I wanted my church to be my family, and he had already begun that, so it was easy for me to step in, uh, marrying him and finding family here as well. Uh, We have three kids, an eight-year-old Adam, who um, will be a third grader at Downtown Elementary. We have a five-and-a-half-year-old girl named Merritt, and she'll be a kindergartner there this year. And we have a -a two-and-a-half-year-old named Lawson. Um, and he'll be at PDO. Um, we've lived in our South Memphis neighborhood of Alsey Ball for about three and a half years, and I work at home as a seamstress for a local artist here in town. So. Thanks, Jules. Um, I, I'm Seth Harkins. I'm married to Julia. I grew, <laughs> grew up in Knoxville um, in a Christian home. I'm pretty sure I became a Christian when I was 11. You'll remember seeing Kirk Cameron in the Left Behind movies. Um, I lost a lot of sleep a couple nights in a row after that movie and uh, thought, ah, there's something to this. I don't know. So um, long conversation with my parents, and I'm pretty sure that's when I gave my life to the Lord. I uh, really understood that I needed Christ uh, as an 11-year-old boy. So I uh, grew up in Knoxville, went to Vanderbilt, moved to Memphis for the Memphis Teacher Residency and taught for six years in a, a couple different schools and now work for a uh, nonprofit community development corporation in Alsey Ball. Okay. Yeah, you're next up. So as you all know, the focus this morning is overcoming our own habits and fears to reach out to those around us, especially those that are different than we are. 
Will you share Seth first and then Julia second, some of those habits that you've had to reorient in order to live more missionally in your life? Um, so something Barton said was about the kind of the home being the inner sanctum and just being a place where I want to be able to go in and kind of shut off, uh, especially if I have to use a lot of extroverted energy during the work day, um, can go in and have a quiet place and not have, you know, even with our own kids around, especially not have any other kids around. Like that's, that's really nice. Um, but finding, uh, finding ways that like f- just asking the Lord to continue to give energy and give life, um, through having other kids come and play in our yard, being outside. Um, it, it's really hard for me not to have every moment planned out and have, you know, something on my to-do list, like filling every moment of my calendar. And that's really tough. So intentionally, you know, putting on my calendar that I'm not going to do anything during this time uh, is a struggle for me. Um, and then we've done some things with our yard. Just, we built a tree house. We have a big swing in a, a huge tree in our backyard. So those are things that we can do with other kids on our street, um, pushing them on the swing, hitting baseballs. Um, there's a big basketball goal in the cove, uh, three doors down another neighbor's house. And so just spending time out uh, doing those things with other neighbors and, and then getting to interact with other neighbors that drive by. They're really small interactions, um, but they do add up. And over the, the last three or four years, um, we've seen that grow into something really cool. Yeah, Seth works in our neighborhood, and so part of his job is to know our neighbors and know their gifts and callings. And my, I just live there. Um, but it's interesting, Barton mentioned the first page of Gospel, Gospel Comes with House Key. The first winter that I lived in Elsie Ball, I was reading not quite as, as astound, uh, like as a solid book, but I was reading a, a young adult novel. And, um, <laughs> and the first page I read, it was a, it's a young adult novel that is loosely based on Pride and Prejudice. And the, it's set in modern day New York City. So it's different population, different culture. And the first page, um, the Benitez sisters are looking out their door as the Darcy family moves in to their totally renovated house. And the family goes in, and about 10 minutes later, they get out, they come out of their door, and they get in their car, and they leave. And the girls say, where are they going? They just got here. And at that point, I closed the book, and I said, that's me. Every day I get up, and I get in my car, and I go someplace. I don't stay here. I live here, but I don't stay here. So I had to start asking myself questions. Why do I leave? Part of it was just the season of life I am was in. Little kids, school drop-off, grocery run, library, Bible study here at church. Um, but I had to ask some questions. Does it matter where my body is if I care about my neighbors? And so I started to ask those questions and evaluating what my, where was I putting value? Where, where was my body and did it matter? And so one of the things I decided to do was stop coming to Bible study. Um, I, was, I had a, an evening Bible study uh, that I was a part of, so I didn't really need, I loved my Bible study in the morning, but if I wanted to really value my neighbors, I couldn't live in this building. So I stayed home that morning instead. Um, one of my favorite things about our house is that our mailbox is on the street. It's not up on our porch, and so I have to walk down my driveway. It's not super long, but I have to go to my mailbox to check the mail, and so do all my other neighbors. And so I remember talking to Brad right before he and Brie got married and kind of saying, how do you know your neighbors? And I said, well, I just go outside when they're outside. So that means I check my mail a lot. <laughs> um, I, if they are checking their mail when they are, then I want to be checking my mail when they are too. So I might know that it hasn't come yet, or I already got it, 
And this was early on. I don't have relationships. But it was one of the things I did to be outside when my neighbors were outside. Because, like Barton said, we live in an isolated you know, community. We work. We come home. We get out of our car. We go indoors. You might do that, and so do most of your neighbors. So there might just be this tiny little window when you have to begin those relationships and those conversations. Um, and then just the understanding, the knowing. As I started asking those questions about what I valued or how I wanted to know my neighbors, I really had to understand that they have habits and fears just like I do. And so if I'm reaching out in neighboring um, ways, it's going to take a long time to build trust, especially cross-racially, which is in the context of what we live. Um, and so I, I want to share like three quick stories about what does five minutes at the mailbox matter? Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't maybe feel like it matters every single day, but I remember back in the winter of 2021, you know, when our, all our pipes froze and the city's pipe burst, um, I had a neighbor in an emergency situation, and I was home, so I got to run outside and care for her, but I did not have the tools to care for her. But all of a sudden, three other neighbors were in my yard, and they did have the tools and the capacity to help. And because we knew each other and we could use each other, we could help her in a cool way. Um, another one is just over time, we have neighbors that should be up here because they have taught us how to, to love each other. But um, we have one neighbor that has fed us a lot. She has the <laughs> gift of cooking for other people. Um, but over time, she said and admitted, I wasn't sure that you would eat my food. Mm. I thought you might throw it away. And just what a joy it was to see her realize that we were receiving and caring for her by eating, by just receiving food, really, really good food. Um, and another time after conversations, the mailbox and conversations um, in her driveway, knowing more of her story and her sharing uh, choices she'd made and just part of her life, just sharing that she said, I can't believe you let your kids hug me. Mm. Um, that we become to know each other and understand that the fears she had, the habits we all have, they can separate us, but as we understand each other and know each other, we do get to care deeply for each other. Thank you for that. Julia, I know one of the other ways, or one of the many ways, um, the Lord has been working in your heart is how our routines and habits often come from where we draw our lines of belonging. Will you share a little bit about that? Yeah, um, as our parents have asked, kind of what, how's church going? What's this new parish thing you're doing? Um, recently, I've been able to tell my mom when she was visiting over the summer. Um, and it's interesting, you know, talking in Luke 10, who is my neighbor? Um, I told her, you know, I lived here for nine and a half years. And before this year, I could probably count on one hand the number of times that I went to Mud Island. Because I kind of felt like I didn't belong there. I didn't go to med school, I didn't go to law school, kind of felt like that's where they, they live, they, they started, they're smart, they're educated, you know. Um, but as I got my map of our midtown, downtown parish, or west of east, it's like we like to call it, um, Mud Island is in my parish, and all of a sudden, my heart was warmed, and I thought, oh, I belong there. They're my, they're my people. And so I've started taking my kids down there for bike rides and walking. Um, and then as we uh, did VBS this summer, and I sent out a parish-wide email. I wasn't really sure if I was supposed to do that, but I did it. And I just said, I need volunteers. 
um, I all of a sudden felt so loved because I had people, I had six volunteers, one from my neighborhood, two of my good friends in my parish with kids, and three without kids, and two who were men, show up and say that we belong to them, our neighborhood and our, the kids in our neighborhood. And just to see this like belonging of our, of our neighborhood, this huge parish, we have a big geographic parish, to see people choose to be together and to care and love and serve has been a ministry to me and just a sense of, just a warming of my heart. Yeah, thank you for that. Seth, I know one of the most important things for you and Julia is how the way that you're living your life as a family is shaping your, how your children see the world, particularly those who at least externally may look differently from them. Will you share a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so, uh, I guess part of, a lot of this for me is thinking this is a really long game that we're that we're entering into. You know, with with our family, with all of you, uh, with our church, with our city. Um, so it's something that we're playing out like generationally, not over the next five or ten years. Um, so for us, uh, both of our parents and grandparents were just always engaged with a lot of different cultures um, through work, through past like missions experience, through a lot of things like that. It's always seemed a little like kind of normal to us. Um, so it makes maybe what we're doing a little more approachable than it would be for some folks. Uh, we didn't get here in a day. And so we know um, we, we also have to steward the way that our kids are engaging uh, with other people and around our city um, because our, our parents and grandparents did that for us. Um, we're also aware that the culture that we experience when we walk in a second press on Sunday, like this is not the majority culture of our city. Um, and so we want our kids to have like a lot more different uh, points of exposure to that. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to heaven because we're, we're going to see like all those different cultures united together and worship the Lord with one voice. Um, that's going to be really cool. I don't know how God's going to do that. It, it doesn't make any sense, um, but he promises that in, in Revelation. That's something that we get to work towards today. Um, I want my kids' worship experiences they grow up to look a little bit more like that uh, than mine did when I was a child. And so that's a, it's a long game. It's a, you know, it's a long time horizon to think about that. Um, one practical thing that we have started to think about uh, in regard to that is where, where do we draw the lines of like what family means or what family looks like? And so uh, family and time on holidays and things like that, thinking about our neighbors and like thinking about you know, what would it look like to include them in some of these things. Uh, so just very simply, uh, you know, one of the neighbors who was extremely skeptical of us, you know, buying this house on Silver Street and starting to renovate it, um, but started to warm to the idea, uh, we really befriended his brother, um, who had Alzheimer's and is not living at home anymore, um, sort of won him over, and then earned an invitation to his family's Easter party, uh, which is a big deal. It takes up, the, you know, the whole cove, and there's uh, folding tables and grills and all kinds of stuff all over the place. Um, so that, that invitation was really special to us. Uh, we went a few years ago and then COVID and then, uh, we earned another invitation this year and decided to leave our family Easter gathering a little early so we could make it back to Memphis back here, uh, for the neighborhood Easter gathering, uh, which is an awesome Easter egg hunt and lots of other, uh, <laughs> it was really fun. Um, we, <laughs> I think it's okay to commit some some family time to that uh, to a neighborhood party that our our neighbors throw that we want to we want to honor them we want to be part of that they're not our blood relatives um, but we're starting to think of them more and more 
as family. Um, so we've tried to expand that circle that we draw around family uh, to mean more than just our immediate family. Um, Julie and I grew, also grew up in uh, really awesome church families. And so being part of a, a church family is something that's pretty normal for us, pretty normal for our kids. Um, it's probably normal for a lot of you in this room to think of your church family as like an integral part of your life. Um, so what would it mean to, to add to our immediate biological family and our church family to just add some neighbors to, to the way we draw those circles? Thanks, Seth. So as we wrap up, I'd like each of y'all to share what's one piece of advice that you would give to all of us this morning on how we all might make progress in overcoming our habits and fears to reach out to those around us? Um, I think just simply the act of slowing down and asking some of those questions about um, what does God value in neighboring and do I value the same things? Um, and knowing so, we know that God's ways are not our ways. We can, we can make a system, we can make a plan, we can make a schedule for hangout times. And we know that God's ways aren't our ways, but he can do so much with so little. And so um, to just slow down, ask some questions, and trust God with the little bits of time that you can commit to, to beginning to know and understand, not just yourself. I feel like we're in a culture of like knowing ourselves really well, but knowing and understanding the people who live closest to us or that we work close with um, or that we go to church with. Um, for me, I, just the, the long-term mindset, it's like you, you don't have to go out and change your whole life tomorrow. <laughs> but you probably should change something mm. and let that become your new habit, however long that takes, right? Pick something, make a change, and let that become your new habit. Uh, let that settle in for a while. Um, and then pick something else. And just, do, just make these, like, small, little, you know, one degree at a time, little bitty changes. Uh, and then 30 years from now, I mean, your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, like, their lives will look different because of that. Mm. Uh, so that's really encouraging to me. Like no matter what your what your background, like where you think you are in in this whole process today, uh, you can pick something small, uh, some small way to change uh, where you run or work out or how you know where you walk your dog or what you say to your neighbors, um, how you spend time on holidays, and and that let that become your new habit. So that's it. Don't feel like you have to change everything, but you probably should change something. That's great. Thanks, guys. I'm gonna let, invite Barton up to. Pray for you guys and pray for all of us as we seek this week especially to put some of those things in practice. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for our brother and our sister, Seth and Julia and their family, uh, for the humility they have, for the wisdom they shared with us, and for their love for you, which is a model to us. I am so grateful for this church that is filled to the brim of models who love the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the mission that you've given us to, to love our city well, to make Memphis as it is in heaven. And Lord, I pray that you would awaken us to the reality of the gospel, that you would remind us that you truly are the good neighbor who moved into our lives when we didn't deserve it. And that being amazed by that, we would so love our neighbors as you've called us to. We love you, Father. And it's in the blessed name of the risen King Jesus and by your spirit we pray. Amen. Amen.